This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, October 21st, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. Much of the contagion associated with the trading of icky mortgage assets may have been prevented with a clearinghouse, an often for-profit firm that can help everyone in a market avoid certain risks. Though such a clearinghouse was approved in late 2000 by Congress and nominally supported by industry, it was never operational. Did it pose a prisoner's dilemma for actors in the trading of those assets? Were the events of recent weeks really necessary to convince an industry that maybe a clearinghouse was a good idea? Craig Perong, a professor of finance at the University of Houston, is author of the new article in Regulation magazine, Clearing Up Misconceptions on Clearing. We spoke yesterday. Well, a clearinghouse is a way of sharing the default risk on contracts. So usually these are associated with a futures exchange or some other derivatives market, and these derivatives are just promises. They're promised to do something in the future. And uh, the clearinghouse is a mechanism for sharing the risk that somebody's not going to live up to their promise. Okay, and clearinghouses typically have capital of their own and therefore have some skin in the game to make sure that the uh, default rate is sufficiently low, right? That's correct. So the first line of defense that a clearinghouse has is that it collects collateral margin uh, from the firms that trade on it. Um, if the some firm uh, incurs losses that aren't uh, that are bigger than its margin, then the clearinghouse can dip into its own capital and into the capital of other members of the clearinghouse to make good that loss. One debate that exists is whether uh, industries generally want this type of uh, uh, institution to exist. What have you found? Well, I mean, that's a very interesting question. Um, <clears throat> Uh, there are some markets that have clearinghouses and have had them for a long time. So in the futures business, uh, the first uh, clearinghouses started in Minneapolis in 1891, um, but the biggest futures market at the time, the Chicago Board of Trade, didn't adopt its clearinghouse for another 34 years until 1925, but now all futures exchanges have them. The counter market, uh, some products do have some clearing. So, for example, for interest rate swaps, uh, some of those are cleared, but some aren't. And there are basically two reasons that I can think of why some products don't have a clearinghouse. One reason would be that um, clearinghouses essentially level the playing field. They reduce the competitive advantage that some big capitalized firms might have in serving as dealers uh, in the derivatives market, and so they might not support the formation of a clearinghouse. Okay, now uh, from the Washington Post uh, last week, you were quoted in a story there. That story indicated that the swaps industry generally supported the idea of a clearinghouse. It was included in a piece of legislation, I believe, in 2000, uh, but for some reason, it just never uh, got off the ground. Uh, neither the government nor the industry really uh, took direct action to um, to make it move forward. Yeah, that's that's one way to put it. I mean, talk is cheap, and uh, you know, the industry came out and favored uh, the idea in concept. Uh, but for the most part, particularly in things like credit sw uh, default swaps, um, the uh, the uh, the walk didn't match the talk. Uh, and the industry has not moved forward on this uh, until uh, now uh, when, uh, under a lot of pressure, it is uh, 
uh, evaluating uh, various alternatives. Now, you said that uh, clearing houses reduced the power of of big firms to uh, I, to do what? Well, so right now in a in a traditional bilateral over the counter market, um, somebody that wants to hedge. So let's say that I'm out there. I want to hedge my credit risk uh, or my let's better example. Maybe I'm an airline and I want to hedge um, the risk of fuel price movements. So I want to go out there and I want to make sure that I enter into a contract with somebody who's going to live up to that contract. Who's the most likely to live up to that contract? Sort of the big, well-capitalized, well-financed dealer firm. And I would be less likely to enter into a contract with somebody who doesn't have as good capital. And uh, that means that they have sort of less cushion to absorb losses, uh, and therefore they have a higher likelihood of not being able to perform on the promise that they made to me. What impact does the existence of a clearinghouse have on the homogeneity or quality of securities that are exchanged? Well, it's, uh, I think it really depends on, you got to get the cart and the horse properly in, in line here. Um, usually clearinghouses are going to work best on homogeneous products um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and this sort of gets to the reason why the second reason why some products might not have moved to, uh, to clearing, um, and that is that it's harder to go to clearing for products that are relatively exotic, products that are relatively unstandardized. Um, it's more difficult for people to evaluate the risks of those products, and a clearinghouse is essentially a risk-sharing arrangement. And so the harder it is for people to evaluate risk and also, potentially importantly, the fact that for these more exotic, less homogeneous products, some people might have an advantage in evaluating risk over others. Those sorts of things make it difficult to craft a risk-sharing arrangement like a clearinghouse. Um, so another, I think, impediment to the development of clearinghouses for products like uh, swaps on credit is those products are relatively new, they're relatively uh, exotic, complicated, and uh, that has been an impediment to getting a clearinghouse going. Is the fact that the credit swaps were a relatively new product and perhaps the firms that were involved in it were not quite as large, does that indicate why the swaps industry may have supported a clearinghouse concept? You know, again, I mean, when you talk about their support, I, again, I, I favor deeds over words. I think, I think a lot of the support was sort of political boilerplate. Uh, this was an idea that was going around. Uh, yeah, sure, we'll support it. But, you know, you, you look at uh, uh, what they did in practice, and there wasn't any real movement on this for years. Okay. Well, then let me ask you this. If, if, the, if the deed is the thing that matters and there were no deeds toward uh, making this uh, happen for uh, credit swaps, what is the regulatory fix if you have an industry that is that may very well benefit from having a, a clearinghouse but is resistant to uh, getting one imposed? Well, one argument would be that you know, the government can serve sort of a coordinating function, and in fact, that's what's going on right now. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York in particular is putting a good deal of pressure on market participants to uh, come to some uh, clearinghouse uh, sort of arrangement uh, for credit default swaps 
uh, and for other instruments. And so, you know, there's on the one hand, you can go to the level from gentle persuasion to jawboning to sort of mandating that they do this. I think right now, the government is in sort of the jawboning uh, mode and the uh, uh, maybe a little less than friendly persuasion, get everybody in a room and we're not going to let you out sort of mode uh, until you come up with uh, a solution here. Um, but there are some rumblings on the Hill that, uh, you know, essentially that there might be some move to mandate this sort of thing. Um, yeah, I, I, given the complexity of what's involved here, and yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, concerned at this stage about mandating a solution um, uh, because uh, um, putting together the wrong kind of clearinghouse without the appropriate sort of thought to the particular nature of the instruments that we're talking about here can create all sorts of other problems. Um, and uh, so I think that right now uh, the government can best serve sort of a coordinating role, uh, uh, you know, helping to address some of the collective action problems that might be uh, uh, preventing these guys from coming to a solution. Given the, the just the events, given the events of the last few months relating to these kinds of, uh, of exotic instruments, do you suspect that more of the industry now is actually willing to take action to create something to protect the continued existence of their preferred instruments? Yeah, yes, I think so, and for a couple reasons. Uh, one reason would be is that uh, uh, the high and mighty that might have been resisting uh, the clearinghouse uh, some months ago uh, are not quite so high or quite so mighty anymore uh, uh, because all the major dealer firms have taken a big hit and some have actually blown up and gone away. Uh, so I think that that has uh, uh, removed... Uh, you know, some of the possible opposition uh, to this. Um, and what's more, I think that from a political perspective, the folks in the industry realize that uh, they're under a tremendous amount of scrutiny right now. A lot of people are looking favorably. A lot of people in, among regulators and legislators are looking favorably on the clearinghouse concept. And um, the alternative uh, to that might be something uh, even less pleasant uh, and so I think that that may also be uh, uh, persuading folks that uh, now is the time. Okay. Is there anything else we, we, we ought to discuss uh, uh, about this before we uh, we sign off here? Well, I think the one thing is is I think a clearinghouse can be an important mechanism uh, to make the market work better. It can be an important way of providing uh, information. But I think it, it, it's almost sort of been portrayed as like Dudley Doodlerite coming in to save the day, and it's not necessarily going to be a panacea. Uh, particularly for some of the more complicated products, uh, it's going to be a challenge to get a clearinghouse set up appropriately and to work appropriately. And so I think that we should, uh, um, uh, it would be wise for uh, people in Washington and, and elsewhere to uh, learn a little bit more about it and tread cautiously when moving forward. Craig Perong is a professor of finance at the University of Houston and is author of the new Regulation Magazine article, Clearing Up Misconceptions on Clearing. It's available at Cato.org.